Welcome to Sunday Night Stat Guide, where you will not just get the stats you want, but the stats that you need. Here's your host, Josh, the Stat Guy Horowitz. Coming up on Sunday Night Stat Guy, a review of The Malice at the Palace, the recent untold documentary, was released on Netflix, and my cousin Jake Sapper joined me to break it down and give you some stats from a historic night. Also, a new segment on the podcast that I think all listeners will enjoy. In what I'm going to call Sports Fanatics, I'll ask Jake some questions about the Pacers, like where his fandom came from, some of the Pacers' best moments, the best time to be a fan, and more questions like that. My favorite category of the segment is both of us picking our Mount Rushmore of the best players in Pacers history. So stay tuned to find out who we have on our Pacer Mount Rushmore and more. Okay. Jake Sapper, Malice at the Palace, Sports Fanatics. Here we go. The problem is, if Wallace is ejected, I'm not sure. He'd have to walk past the pace of bench to go. Now Artest has jumped over the scorer's table and is trying to get down to the bench. Artest is in the stands. Oh, this is awful. Fans are getting involved. Steven Jackson's in the fans. Rasheed Wallace going into the stands. Those are the sounds of the infamous, one of the more infamous moments in NBA history, the Malice at the Palace, November 19th, 2004, at the Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit, Michigan. The Malice at the Palace Untold uh, documentary just came out on Netflix recently, and I thought this was a perfect time to do a podcast about it, because um, I I think it's a very intriguing moment in NBA history, and I have a special guest with me to uh, just talk about the documentary and talk about this moment in Pacers history. So with that, I welcome my cousin, Jake Sapper, to Sunday Night Sack Guy. Jake, we're going to get into a lot of things with the documentary um, and just kind of what happened. But I want you to um, just tell, tell us what you remember, like from from that day. And I, we have a weird connection for this. So I know you're going to go into that. Yeah. So November 19th, 2004, it was a Friday night basketball game. Um, I believe it was eight o'clock on ESPN. So nationally televised game. Um, I was actually babysitting. Uh, you and your brothers. <laughs> um, I'm sure, you know, you know, what, 17 years ago, so I don't remember every detail, but I'm sure we ordered Donato's pizza and uh, we probably played some, any, any sports game we could think of in, in your basement. Um, but I do remember putting you guys down, coming back downstairs. I, I think, I want to say we had the game on, I'm sure all night um, as I'm laying you guys down, but I came downstairs and watched the end of the game and you know, it all unfolded with 45.9 seconds left. And yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, how the, the season for the Pacers, I mean, that was, I think it was like the eighth or ninth game of the season and just came to a, a halt there, but definitely something that, especially as a fan of the team, you just remember where you were and, and all that. So pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, it's really funny that we, that you were, babysitting me and my brothers <laughs> on that night because I yeah. I definitely don't have a recollection of that night specifically the first time I really remember like seeing something about it I remember one of our friends had recorded it at their house and a few weeks later a few months later they still had the recording and we were watching it over and over again um, so that's kind of my memory and obviously you know I've seen the video plenty of times since then and now we get the documentary but um but yeah, just to kind of give everyone a background of like where we were and, you know, what memories we have. Before we continue, though, I, I forgot to mention at the top. So the Sunday Night Stack Guy title. So you are a big, big part of that title. And I, I can explain the story. So, you know, we were we had a family trip together in uh, 2016 and we, we were all playing like these card games and there was there was one specific game where you had to have like a nickname given to you. And so do you remember the sporting event that was happening at that time, by the way, it was like the was main, it, the, it was the NBA finals, wasn't it? It, it? So it was the Western conference finals between okay. Oklahoma city and golden state. 
So Oklahoma City was up 3-1. We had like the Clay Thompson game six, um, like the, the monster crazy three-point game. And so, you know, here, here's me giving stats every day while the games are going on. And so Jake is the first one that was like stat guy. He just kept calling me stat guy. That was my nickname for the game we played. And I went by stat guy from there on out. And then it, here it, we are five years later. Just, and Yeah. It just stuck. Yeah. I mean, it was like the first thing that came to mind. And I mean, I think on that trip, we, we did, uh, we did a number of, you know, excursions where we were driving a couple hours and we would just talk about any, any stat we could think of just to pass time and stack guy just stuck. And here we are five years later and we got and a that, podcast. And that was and part of the title of the podcast. Stack, yeah. Stack so, guy. Yeah. So for anyone wondering on, on the 25th episode, now we finally have the origin story for stack guy. So there it is. So, all right, let's, let's get into this untold malice at the palace. So for just to set it up for everyone, um, we'll talk about the documentary, kind of our thoughts on it, but we're going to do it as we go through the timeline of um, that, those kind of couple of years. So let's start with just like the 2004 playoff series beforehand. I know they kind of talked about it in the documentary, um, but just in general, like the first five minutes, Jake, of that documentary, I had chills the entire mm-hmm. time. Like everything they said was just like was such a good lead up to what they were about to show. Yeah, they, they did a great job. And um, going back to the, the 2004 um, Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, the Pacers, they they definitely thought that that was probably their best chance since, you know, the 2000 NBA Finals when they lost the Lakers in six games. I mean, they Pacers take game one. Um, game two, I was actually at at the game with your uh, your uncle Paul and uh, Reggie gets. I don't know if if you uh, if you've seen the the highlight, but Reggie gets the uh, the go ahead or the, the, the to tie layup at the end of the game, and Tayshawn Prince comes out of nowhere and, and blocks it in the, the Pistons take game two, and then game three and four they split and Pistons end up winning in game six and winning the NBA Finals. Um, yeah, just that was definitely their, their opportunity. And um, looking at some of the scores from that, that, um, that series game two ended 72 to 67. I mean, so you, you see some of the NBA games these days are almost that at halftime um, or they're there about um, the yeah. game two featured 26 blocks and game five featured 25 blocks, which you just don't, you don't see that nowadays. I mean, any, anytime anyone came down the lane, you're either getting, getting fouled or blocked or you're making a tough shot. Um, That's so, so many was, blocks. Yeah. And then I, I also j- just jotted down game six. They showed it in, in the documentary, but the Artest Hamilton little exchange there at the end where it, it, it could have turned the series around. You just never know if that the Pacers win, what happens in game seven, but Hamilton, um, the Hamilton Artest exchange definitely, I mean, and I think Reggie said that they were just more mentally tough than the Pacers. Yeah. And that's, and, that's what it boiled down to. Yeah. So. And that was actually, that was similar to one of the things I had written down. So here are my notes um, <laughs> that I was writing down while watching the documentary. But one of the things yeah. I'd written down was like the, that game six in Detroit. And then the next time they played back at that stadium was the Malice of the Palace. And w- one thing they did a good job of in the documentary they very obviously and clearly were trying to show a video of Ron Artest walking out of the, like walking through the tunnel. So after game six, you could see him walking through the tunnel, fans like up above kind of clapping, like maybe booing whatever. But then obviously they get to after the brawl where he's walking through the tunnel and it's just completely different. Like if they had a side-by-side of those, you would be able to tell the difference. So I thought that was an interesting thing that they, they kind of showed there. Yeah, that's that is crazy. I'd, I'd love to see the side by side on that. And I also also jotted down the uh, the Pistons in that series. They averaged nine point three three blocks a game, and the Pacers averaged seven point one six blocks mm-hmm. a game, which is is just crazy. You just don't you don't see that nowadays in the NBA. It just the, the defense is just different, and there's a lot more three point shooting. So that's crazy block numbers. Yeah. The um the one of the one last stat I have about the 2004 series. So obviously, like you said, low scoring defensive series. So game six, the final is 69 to 65. 
which is tied the second fewest points scored in a playoff game in the shot clock era. Wow. Which is yeah. insane. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it was 59 all when that exchange happened. I mean, you just don't, right. you don't see that score in the fourth quarter anymore. Oh, that's, um, that's like a yeah. middle of the first half score sometimes. Or, yeah. 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 That's literally like a sometimes, middle of the yeah. quarter score sometimes. Not middle of the first half. Cause that'd be a first quarter score, but right. yeah, like in the second quarter, that could be, a, that could definitely be the score. Yeah. Um, anything else on, on the 2004 playoff series, either from the documentary or just stats that you have? No, I, I think that was it. Uh, just, yeah, low scoring and every, every possession mattered. Yep. Yep. So now that, again, the documentary did well, they kind of set it up to, um, they, they like talked about all that and then they just cut immediately to November 19th, 2004, which is where we're at now. And so the one thing that popped into my mind was that this is like three weeks after the Red Sox had broken the curse. <laughs> right like 2004 is just such a year for me or I like I relate it to the Red Sox winning the World Series for the first time so this happened three weeks later um also Ron Artest turned 25 like six days before this I'm 25 mm-hmm. right now <laughs> so I just I can't imagine like what he was going through at the time yeah. just like in life um obviously he's an NBA player but you know just just mm-hmm. men- mentality wise oh absolutely um, you're still young and you're still a little, little immature on the, you know, as an NBA yeah. player, just, yeah, it's just crazy to think about that he was that young. And so some notes that I have uh, just from the documentary. So they started that section. I think it was a Pistons radio announcer. He had a quote. He said, two teams, similar styles, one survivor, sort of like Jeff Probst would do on Survivor. And little did he know what he was getting himself into by saying that. Um, and then the fact that Reggie Miller didn't play in the game, I think is pretty impactful. One, like the Pacers won the game by a good, well, technically won the game by a good bit. They didn't even finish the mm-hmm. game, um, but he didn't even play in it. And then Tim Donaghy was the referee for this game. I had no idea. That, I, I didn't either. <laughs> that is, that is incredible. It just adds, just, adds some juice to the, to the game. I mean, it's just crazy that yeah. he was actually the referee and yeah. yeah. I did not know that until I watched the documentary. Yeah. So that yeah. was insane. Um, also, Mike Breen was the announcer, which anyone who's listened to this podcast knows I love Mike Breen. Um, and then just the part about, you know, we're getting closer to the actual brawl happening. Like Jamal Tinsley, that was the only time he was actually mentioned in the, in the whole documentary was mm-hmm. apparently him yelling to Ron Artest, like, hey, you can foul now. Or like, hey, you have you your can foul. get your foul now. Yeah, you can yeah. get your foul, and it's like, just do you think if he doesn't say anything, like, does anything happen? Um, so there's a few notes I had on the documentary part of it. Um, anything else? Like anything else that stuck out to you? Yeah, I had I had Donahue written down. I had you can get your foul now by Tinsley. Um, I think one of the things, one of the quotes that really sticks with me is that uh, Jo said, "Everything you work for is gone in a split second. I mean, you think about all the, you know, he came out of high school and went straight to the NBA and felt Patriots felt like they had a really good chance that season and everything just in that 45.9 left in the game. It's, it's all, it's all done. And I, and I also, I, I didn't, I never thought about this until the documentary, but I don't know why some of those players were in the game. I mean, you're up by fifth, you know, Patriots 97 to 82 with 45.9 left. And both teams really had both of all of their guys in, you know, uh, yeah. just, you just normally you wouldn't see that like, anymore. No, like I, it just makes, doesn't make any sense why any of those guys were in the game. And I, I didn't know that Ben Wallace lost his brother right before that happened. I mean, some, just some of those things, some of those details just came out that kind of make you think what, you know, what could have been. And it was a Friday night. So if it's a Monday night game or Tuesday night game and people aren't, you know, drinking and kind of letting loose, who knows what happens. But sure. yeah, Jamal, I think it, it all boils down back to Jamal Tinsley telling Ron to get his foul. <laughs> it's just why. Yeah. You know? and, it, and it sucks because Jamal Tinsley, that's the, like I said, that's the only time he gets mentioned in there. And that's not what he was when he was on the Pacers. I mean, they, no. it's funny. They showed his stat line at the time. Did you see what, did you notice what his stat line was at the 13, time? 13, 8, and 8. 13, 8, and 8. He was a modern eight day steals. Russell Westbrook. He yeah. was a modern day Russell Westbrook. He was, yeah. <laughs> Except a lot slower. 
but yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just it makes no sense why why you would tell that guy and all those. You know, I also wrote down that there were those guys were friends off the court. Yeah, I think they had they had mutual respect, like you know, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning had for each other. It's kind of like that. It's like on the court we're competitors, but off the court we were you know, or on the court we respect each other. And uh, yeah, just. And everything that, just blew up for the Pacers there. And that was one thing that Jermaine had said was, um, you know, with the, the fans are going to see like what goes on on the court and like what all the actions are of players on both sides. And so if Pistons players are kind of combative and whatever, then the, the fans are also going to be. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we don't have to go through the entire sequence because most people listening to this know how, kind of the sequence of what happened. But so post, you know, everyone's in the locker room now. One of the things that got me from the documentary was the fact that Ron Artest asked whoever was in the locker room, do you remember this? He said, are we going to get in trouble? Yeah. And Jermaine O'Neal said, what do you mean? (laughs) He was like, what do you mean? Of course. So here are the suspensions from, Mm -hmm. from the aftermath. So let me find my tab here. So nine total players in 146 total games. Ron Artest, 86 games, including playoffs. Steven Jackson, 30 games. Jermaine O'Neal, 15, but was originally 25. Ben Wallace, 6, which is the most for any of the Pistons players. Anthony Johnson, 5 games. Reggie Miller, 1 game. Chauncey Billups, 1 game. Derek Coleman, 1 game. Eldon Campbell one game and then David Harrison uh, just got like fines and um, and community service. So those are all the suspensions, 137 games for Pacer players and only nine for Piston players. I, I don't know what Reggie Miller did to get a one game suspension. I still don't know. Yeah. So I think he came off the bench and at the time, Oh, was that a rule? I, I, it must've been. And I, that, that also brings up another point I had written down that the, one of the police officers didn't know who Reggie Moore was. I never is because he was in a suit. But I'm like, yeah. I mean, he's six seven, lanky. He's got a you know pretty recognizable face in, yeah. in that era of basketball, I guess. Um, but yeah, just kind of that that kind of stuck out to me too that that he didn't know that who Reggie Moore was. But yeah, he only got he just got a game and got fined sixty one grand. Um, but yeah, runner test getting suspended for the rest of the season, including 13 playoff games and $5 million down the drain. Which, by the way, the 86 games is the longest on-court suspension in NBA history. I, I can't think of anything else that wow. has happened since then. There's, I mean, there's yeah, nothing. No, like that's nothing like that. Nothing, nothing else on-court that long. No. So it's the longest on-court suspension. Um, yeah, it's, it's just – it's so tough. Like the, we'll, we'll get into more about, uh, like, Jermaine O'Neal um later on but you know like Steven Jackson getting 30 games and they they had a team that definitely was a championship hopeful team I think more than that like they were putting the beat down on the NBA champion the defending NBA champions they had I like I think it was Reggie who said this in the documentary they had probably the best perimeter defender in Ron Artest and then one of the best um, inside defenders in Jermaine O'Neal And then it was a pretty defensive league and you had players that could score too. So it's not wrong. They were definitely at least one of the favorites to win the title that year. Yeah, they, they absolutely were. And, and, you know, they, they, I think if they, well, once they won that game, they were seven and two or eight and two. Seven and two. They were seven seven and two. two. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still pretty early in the season, but you think about, you know, you open up the season seven and two and you're coming off the, you know, losing the Eastern conference finals. I mean, they, they definitely had a, a solid team all around. And, uh, yeah, like you said, the, the the defense was great, and they had the shooting. I mean, even Ron Artest can shoot the three, too. So they could spread the floor, and they, they were they were very well balanced. Yeah, for sure. I think I think I all – because, you know, they, they would have had to play the Spurs in the finals still. Like, and this, mm-hmm. those Spurs are still one of the – you know, they're obviously one of the biggest dynasties in NBA history. Um, but oh, yeah. this at, watching the documentary was kind of the first time where I was like, oh, yeah, they, they actually maybe would have been NBA champions. Maybe. Yeah. 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 
and like I said, we'll, we'll get more into kind of what happened after, but any, anything else um, just about like the actual brawl and the suspensions or that part of the season. Um, Cause obviously like Reggie Miller, this was his last NBA season, which was tough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I know that they, they mentioned the documentary, no, no fair trial kind of sticks out to me and power of David Stern because it was an on-court incident. I think they interviewed mm-hmm. Stephen A. Jackson or Stephen A. Smith, and he said something along the lines of since it was an on-court um, incident that he, there was, I, I don't know the legal system that well, but there was something to do with he had more power to suspend the players. And uh, I think Stephen Jackson even mentioned that he's kind of lucky that, or they're lucky that they didn't get expelled from the league. Yeah, and so that, that mean, actually, that, yeah. that was going to be one of my questions to you was, do you think all the suspensions were right or which one should have been less or more? Because that, that's true. They did say like, they were surprised that some of them weren't expelled from the league. But that being said, I think our test was probably about right. Um, but everyone else's, you know, it was a matter of just Stern proving the point at that time, like, Hey, we can't have this happen. But do you think there should have been any adjustments? it's tough to say. I mean, I think yeah, it, probably, it really is <laughs> probably argue like Ben Wallace only gets six games, but um, I don't know. It's, it's really tough. I mean, I think you can make an argument that maybe, I don't know. It's really hard. It, yeah. It is. Looking Especially back at it now, it's it. yeah. I mean, Ron Artet, you just, I guess you just can't retaliate. I mean, and David Stern's protecting the league. I get it. Uh, kind of protecting the image, but I think it all goes back to just, no fair trial. Um, and I think the documentary mentioned uh, how it was like this. They, David Stern based the all the suspensions off of an edited game clip and he wasn't there. And, you know, there's people throwing beers and people throwing chairs at players. Yeah. I, I mean, and obviously they, they yeah. ended up getting a lot of fans um, notified yeah. and identified and charged and you know, that helps with the, with the unseen footage. Um, Yeah. Oh, I had one more point I was going to make there. Yeah. Who knows? So, all right, well, we're, let's, let's go ahead and kind of go into more of like the kind of what happened after. So, you know, this happens in the, the beginning of the 2005 season. And I guess like what, what happened with certain players. So you have a list of players. I know you kind of wanted to discuss, um, like, we're just going to talk about like their career paths, kind of like how it changed based on what, what just happened. So who do you want to start with? Yeah. So I'll start with Reiner test. Um, I actually wrote down their, their, uh, ages too. So I know you mentioned earlier, he's only 25. So you still think he's probably in his, the prime of his career. Um, he gets traded to Sacramento for Peja, uh, Stoyakovic, who I remember getting, getting the the news of that trade and I was really excited because he was always the three-point shooter with Doug Christie and those Sacramento Kings teams um, and then he kind of bounces around the league he goes to the Rockets for a year and then he gets his title with the Lakers which they showed again in the documentary he kind of felt felt guilty about that happening I guess and then he's with the Knicks and then goes to China and Italy for a year and then back to back to the Lakers so he kind of bounces around but Again, he gets his title in 2010, and yeah, I mean, I I guess you could just, yeah, I mean, he, I, I guess I don't I don't know what else I could add yeah. to that. He just kind of bounced around and got his got his ring, so can't the, complain. Yeah, the one thing we had talked about beforehand is it's kind of ironic that our test got the biggest suspension, so the biggest kind of negative from the whole thing. But you can argue he had the best career post brawl too. Yeah. Like the, at least you, the you most could, you could make accomplished. Yeah. 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 With the Absolutely. Also, I remember what I was going to say before, before we move on to the next one, the thing about Stern giving the suspensions, uh, one quote that kind of stuck out too was somebody asked him like, was the, were the suspensions unanimous? And he was like, yes, they were unanimous one to nothing. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> it was like, okay, power move. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah. power move. It was him versus no yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, just wanted to mention that. But yes, no. yeah, good point on our test. Yeah. And then uh, the next one I have is Steven Jackson, who was 26 at the time of the, the brawl. Uh, before coming to the Pacers, he wins um, a ring with the Spurs in 2003. 
And then he, again, he kind of bounces around. He's with the Warriors, the Bobcats, the Bucks, the Spurs, and then the Clippers. So kind of just bounced around the league, just kind of like our test. Um, and then I also had J.O. written down who, I mean, he's just the consummate professional. Um, he was only, he was also 26 at the time of the brawl. Um, and he bounces around the league too with uh, Raptors, Heat, Celtics, Suns, and Warriors, but doesn't get his ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, and he missed did, the Warriors by, I think, a year. Yeah, he was a year. Yeah. Yeah, he, if he had stayed for like two more years, he would have been on. Two more team, years, but yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you saying like all these guys' ages, just showing how young the team was and how good they could have been for maybe a few years. Um, yeah, and, their core. I mean, you talk about the, these guys, these three guys. I mean, that's that's your core, and they they just kind of after the brawl happened, they just all blew up. I mean, 25, 26, 26, Those guys could have been on the Pacers for another five, six years. And they could have had many in runs, their primes, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and that was one thing like we, we talked again a little bit about beforehand. But I think most people had this perspective that Jermaine O'Neal really took the biggest hit from the entire yeah. brawl. If the brawl never happens, Jermaine O'Neal might be a pacer for life. He might literally be the best pacer ever. He might be one of the all time 25 to 50 greatest players in NBA history. And that just doesn't happen. Like after this season, they only, he only makes the playoffs with the Pacers one more time. And then he's on, you know, an NBA musical chairs thing. Um, yeah. So I think he's, he, he should have been a lifetime Pacer. Like he's the yeah. guy you think of when you think of the Pacers. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And he was, he was loyal um, for sure. He was just sort of like Reggie. I mean, he, he wanted to win and um, he was willing to do anything he could to win, but it just didn't happen, you know. And also um, have to mention that you and I met him actually. So he's actually a really cool guy. We yes. met him <laughs> together at a family dinner. We were, what was it, Stone Creek? <laughs> I think so. It was like Mother's Day or Father's Day. Yeah, that um, was pretty cool. I'll always yeah. remember meeting Jermaine O'Neal. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> um, and then so the next guy, I, I threw in Ben Wallace. Um, I mean, they win the 2004 title. And then the 2005 finals, they lose to the Spurs um, in seven. And then after that, he goes to the Bulls, the Cavs, and then back, back to the Pistons for a little cameo for a year. And, and he was okay. his, he, he was 30 at the time of the brawl. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. And this is interesting. So, in 2000, so by 2011, so six years later, he was the only one of the nine suspended players that was still on their team. Wow. So everyone else was gone, which, I mean, that's still a lot of time. So it's honestly crazy he was there even then. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have – the last one I have is Reggie, um, who was 39 at the time of the brawl. Um, the Pacers – you know, it, it's kind of forgotten. The Pacers made the playoffs as a sixth seed, and they beat your Celtics in seven. They did. At the Garden. <laughs> and then – you're up two to one against the Pistons in, in the Eastern Conference semifinals and the Pistons win game four and never look back. I mean, yeah. who knows? Even after all that happened, they still had their chance, you know, to to beat the Pistons, um, obviously without Ron Artest. But um, I guess looking back at it, that was just and then I, I know they showed it again in the documentary that um, the Pacers lose game six, 88 to 79. And they showed, you know, a little. A little tidbit of, um, I think Larry Brown calling a timeout and then a standing ovation for Reggie as is his final game as a yeah. pacer. So just kind of came to the left in Indy. It was. Okay. It was game game six of the Eastern Conference semifinals in two thousand five. Yeah. yeah. So it, it just kind of came to an abrupt end, and yeah, I mean he was he was thirty nine and he was he was a loyal pacer from you know the time he got drafted. So. And, and on that note, I kind of mentioned already, like they, they missed the playoffs um, four straight years from 2007 to 2010. So from a Pacer standpoint, like this was obviously the start of a not so great period. They actually didn't even finish above 500 again until 2012. Wow. Yeah. Until they got so, Paul George. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then just so, some other like general things that happened post, post brawl. Um, and be, this like, some reason this was the thing that said that told nba arenas hey let's increase protection 
like for for fans and players um and then so i i have to double check this actually but at least in the nba this was the moment that they had made some alcohol restrictions so one of the you know one of the things was like they they have to stop selling it in the third quarter um they can't sell any more than 24 uh fluid like size fluid ounce purchases you know to a cap of two beverages per purchase um so those were things that were instituted and then march 25th 2005 the next time those teams played in detroit the game was delayed by 90 minutes do you remember this it was a bomb threat there was a bomb threat in the pacers locker room and so the game was late 90 minutes, nothing ever happened. Nothing happened in the game, but obviously for it being the first time, those two teams playing back in that stadium, um, they, you know, obviously need to make sure of everything. So yeah, also that's pretty crazy. one thing I didn't know here, but it was at the end of the documentary. When did the stadium finally get torn down? They were kind of talking about how, you know, all those players legacies kind of live in that stadium, but when did it finally get torn down? That's a great question. I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, you want to do a quick Google search? Yeah, yeah. Here, let me try to do a quick um, Google search. Yeah, because I remember Jermaine saying something along the lines of his his memories are always there until it gets torn down. Um, the Pistons moved to a new arena in 2017. Okay. Oh, so, I, but I think, let's see. Oh, oh, it was literally last summer. July 11th, 2021 was when it was finally gone. Wow. Yeah. So it took a few years for them to like actually take it down. Yeah. So that's obviously another thing that, yeah, like you just said, Jermaine O'Neal is kind of like a piece of me will always be there until it gets taken down. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, any other thoughts on the documentary? We're going to go to a new segment here in a second, but any other thoughts on the documentary or. um, Yeah. I I thought they did a really good job. I I did. I thought it was cool that they interviewed the director of operations and kind of got behind the Mm -hmm. scenes on some things where, you know, you just didn't know exactly how the the police were scattered around the arena that night. And some of the fans can't, you know, kind of leaked down to the, the lower level and it was a Friday night. So yeah, Yeah. that stuff can happen. That was an interesting Uh, point. I know Reggie was one that said that. Yeah. So yeah, but other than that, I don't, I don't think I have anything else. So two final points for me, um, which my friend Alex Caspa actually mentioned this, but we would have liked to see more of the Pistons players side of the documentary. I think that's one thing they really left out. And it's mm-hmm. actually kind of a shame because they spent part of the documentary talking about how like the Pacer players were essentially being blamed for the whole thing at, you know, at a certain point. And then they weren't able to defend themselves. And now they're finally able to tell their side, but they still only got to tell their side. Like, you know, you would have liked to see the Pistons players kind of talk about their side and, you know, what they were trying to prevent or not prevent. Um, but the only one we heard from was Ben Wallace. And it was for like two minutes. I, I, they were talking about his brother and, um, you know, they showed his introduction. So that was one thing I think I wish we could have heard more. And then, I can't believe we've gotten this far without mentioning it, but Rick Carlisle was the coach of the Pacers for that game. And he's yeah. the coach of the Pacers again. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like officially full circle. I think this full is the time where Absolutely. this moment is officially full circle. <laughs> we had the brawl. Uh, Rick Carlisle was the coach. He's back. The documentary's out. The stadium is down. And, you know, I hopefully everyone has put the whole thing sort of behind i know pacer fans still want that championship and need that championship but um yeah it's just it's a crazy moment i can't believe that we were alive for it <laughs> yeah it, it is it, like i said earlier it's a it's a moment in time where you you remember where where you were especially you know more more so as a as a fan of the team i mean as a neutral if that was you know the Celtics against the heat. I, I would have remembered where I was, but even more so as a, as a as fan, a fan kind of, of, yeah. just yeah. sticks in your head and right. Yeah. Just November 19, 2004 will never be uh, forgotten in Pacers minds, Pacers fans minds. And so we're going to get, that's a great transition. We're going to get even more into the Pacer fan mindset um, in our next segment called sports fanatics. So we're going to take a quick break and then back for sports fanatics. Okay. We are back. 
and uh, with Jake Sapper, and we're going to do a new segment on Sunday Night Stack Guy called Sports Fanatics. So let me just kind of explain what this is going to be and kind of the, the story behind the title. So Sports Fanatics is going to be a segment where I take I, I talk to somebody that's a fan of a specific team. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Pacers, and we're just going to find some things out about either, you know, the the reasons behind being a fan and just certain things about the team. Um, we'll, I'll go through the categories in a second, but this whole segment is going to be about the history of the Pacers. And so this is, has a pretty cool tie to it with the sports fanatics title because Jake's dad, my uncle Paul actually had a sports memorabilia store that was called sports fanatics. And it's perfect because we're fanatics here. Like we're sports fanatics. And I want to hear from people about the teams they are fanatics of. So welcome to a new segment, sports fanatics. So first, Jake, again, we're talking about the Pacers. Tell me just about your background as a Pacer fan and either how it started. Obviously you're from Indiana, so it's easy there, but uh, maybe just as, when you were young, how you got to be a Pacer fan. Yeah, so uh, just growing up in Indiana, like you said, just born and bred, um, Indiana sports, Colts, Pacers. Um, family had season tickets for the Colts and Pacers for a little bit. Um, so just going up to game or growing up, going to games and always watching. I remember, um, you know, when I was in elementary school, most of the games started at 7 p.m. and I my bedtime was like 7.30. <laughs> so I'd watch like the first quarter and then I was, you know, off to bed and then I'd wake up in the morning and check the score and check out the box score and all that. And just, you know, just growing up in Indiana, it was like a, definitely a basketball state. So um, it just brings back memories of, um, you know, going to Pacer games and Colts games and just being, being a Hoosier born and bred. So. Great answer. I love it. I love it. It's uh, in 49 States. It's just basketball, but this is Indiana, right? Absolutely. That's, that's, it. that's, yeah. the, that's the motto. So all right. Great answer. So we're going to go through some of these categories. I'm actually just going to say them now, um, but we'll obviously do it one at a time. So here are the categories that we're kind of going to go through about the Pacers. We're going to talk about our favorite stats surrounding the Pacers, obviously, Sunday night stat guy. Um, you're going to give us what you think the best moment in team history is, the worst moment, the best decade to be a fan. We're going to go over the alignment system. I'll explain that later on. I'm going to give you an over under on the next year the Pacers can win a championship. And then we're going to do our Mount Rushmore for the best players in Pacers history. So first one, our favorite stats. I'm going to go first on this because this is one we love. We absolutely love this thing. So every Pacer fan will know what I'm talking about when I say this graphic. So it is, the, these are the players at the time. I, I, do you remember what year it was taken? Maybe 2014? Was Thaddeus Young still there? Oh, I just gave it away. What was was it around that time? Um, maybe earlier. I can't remember what year he was. Once once you say this stat, let me guess. Okay, so here, so at, here at the time, here are the players in NBA history that average with 800 games that averaged 13 and a half points, 5.9 rebounds, 1.4 steals, 49% field goals and 30% on three-point field goals. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Thaddeus Young. Those are the five players at the time to have those stats. It is one of the craziest graphics you will ever see, and I love whenever it pops up on the timeline. Yeah, so I think that was, I want to say 2018. It's more, it more recent. Oh. He, I don't think he was on the team. He was, he was on the Bulls, I believe, before the Pacers. Oh, you're right. I'm right. Um, so I want to say 2018 2017 maybe okay so it is more recent than i thought so it's it's yeah. still crazy it's it's a great stat yeah I've, I've wanted to use that graphic on this podcast for so long so i'm glad it popped up here so that's that's my favorite pacer stat what about you yeah so i've got a couple here so the the uh the pacers have not drafted in the top nine since 1989 that's like a perfect representation yeah, <laughs> yeah. always pretty competitive you know, they, they never had a really, a really bad draft pick or I guess never, never traded for a really good pick. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was one that kind of stuck out to me. Um, 
Another one, I actually remember watching this game. I was in college, um, November 10th, 2010. Pacers are hosting the Nuggets. Pacers win 144 to 113. In the third quarter, the Pacers made their first 20 shots. They go eight for eight from three. And with 1.9 seconds left in the third quarter, Josh McRoberts misses a 26-footer to, I guess, screw up a perfect, what could have been a perfect quarter. Pacers wow. scored 54 points, and it's the highest-scoring quarter in team history. Wow, so that kind is of a, a great stat. A great stat, yeah. And I, it, was, it was one I, I kind of did a, a Google search to try to, try to find um, – a good stat. I couldn't find anything. And I just remembered that. And I Googled it and I, I watched, I think maybe I watched the McRoberts miss, mm. but with 1.9, it's like, if he would have just swallowed the ball and taken the shot clock violation, I don't, I don't even know what the shot clock was at, but this is a kind of a cool one yeah. uh, that I found. And then my last one is Sabonis just became the third center to average 20, uh, 20, 10 and seven. And he joins Jokic and Wilt Chamberlain. So that's a good one. That's, uh, that's the, the third center. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy that two of them literally are playing like right now. And the other yeah. one played in like the 60s, 70s. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do have an added Sabonis one. Uh, did you know he has the most triple doubles in Pacers history? Did not know that. With 13. That's a good one. Wow. And he's been on the team for like two, se- two and a half seasons. <laughs> And he has That's... twice as many as the next closest person. Lance? Uh, it's actually Detlef Schrempf. Oh, really? Six. Okay. Lance has five. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. That's a, that's a really good one. But so, yeah, Sabonis, most triple doubles in Pacers history in wow. two and a half seasons. That just shows where the NBA is going. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's go on. Best moment in team history. Um, I know you have, you have a pretty good one for this. Yeah, so my best Pacers moment dates back to 1977. Uh, the Pacers hosted a ticket-selling telethon. Um, so a little background. Um, August 5th, 1976, the NBA merges with the rival ABA, and they take four of their most successful teams. So the Nuggets, the Pacers, the Nets, and the Spurs come over. Um, at the time, the Pacers are struggling financially. Uh, they're drawing fans to games in their inaugural season in the association, but the team was still in millions of dollars of debt. Um, looked like they were going towards bankruptcy. Um, and the, the entry fee to get just into the NBA was $3.2 million at the time. Um, and they weren't receiving any share of television revenue from the NBA. I think those three teams were, were barred from getting any, any revenue for the first like four seasons I was reading. Um, so in the summer of 1977, the Pacers announced that they would need to sell about 8,000 season tickets. Otherwise, the franchise would probably be moved or it would be sold and moved to a different city, most likely. Um, in an executive meeting, Nancy Leonard, who is Slick Leonard's wife, and Slick was the coach at the time, um, he suggests hosting a telethon. Uh, WTTV, a local news channel that's still here in Indy, offers to host the telethon. So at 10 p.m. on July 3rd, 1977, the Pacers hosted ticket selling telethon at the 500 ballroom of the Indiana Convention Center. It lasts 16 and a half hours, so it started at 10 p.m. So it goes into the morning hours of July 4th, 1977, and the Pacers end up selling 8,028 season tickets to keep the Pacers in Indy. Um, And without that telethon, there's probably no Pacers, no Colts, uh, likely no RCA Dome and Lucas Oil Stadium, no Super Bowl hosting, uh, no Fieldhouse, no Big Ten championships, no NCAA Final Fours. I mean, I think Indiana or Indianapolis is probably just a different city if the Pacers don't stay, um, stay in Indy. So I think that that's for me, that's probably the most important uh, moment in Pacers history. Yeah, that's I, um, I really you know, wasn't, wasn't sure exactly where you were going to go with that, but it has ramifications that last you know, up till now, especially with Indiana being, it's not like one of the largest sports cities, you know, when you talk about like most teams or whatever, but I mean, think of what's here. Like the, I'm pretty sure the big 10 headquarters are here and like, or yeah. the NCAA, isn't the NCAA. NCAA. Yeah. yeah. You're right. So it's like, it's become a pretty good Mecca of like sporting events. 
Um, yeah, I mean, without without having an NBA team here, the city looks very different. And the Pacers yeah. or the uh, the Colts didn't come to Indy until 1984. So who knows if the Baltimore Colts become the Indianapolis Colts without that? Right. I mean, it just it just, like you said, it just had a, a lot of a lot of ramifications of if it if that never happens, who knows what Indianapolis is right now? So that's a that's a really good moment. I, I like yeah. that. I, I like that better than eight points nine seconds, which is maybe <laughs> well, one of the better on court moments. But <laughs> it's probably number two. Yeah. And then so worst moment. Is there any debate on this? No, I it, it's definitely malice of the Pals. Yeah. And then I kind of looped it in with Reggie, the end of Reggie's career. Mm. Um, not that that was a bad moment, but how it kind of ended. I felt like it just, as a Pacer fan, it ended really abruptly. Mm. Um, you know, they had their, their chance in the 2000 finals. And, um, you know, 2004, 2005, they were right there too. They had really solid teams and just how the malice kind of, changed everything and Reggie you know I think Jermaine and Jermaine really feels bad about how it kind of ended so I think that's that's got to be the worst moment and I hate to even like lump in Reggie but I think that just the way his career ended yeah and one thing I, I actually noted this uh, on an earlier podcast we talked about the Pacers a little bit with uh with Jesse Smith the fact that Bill Walton was the analyst for the eight points nine seconds game and the malice at the palace. So you can make the argument he he was the analyst for both of the best and worst on court moments in Pacers history. Wow. Which is kind of crazy. Bill Wallen. That's that's thought. a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. Best decade to be a fan. Um I it's gotta be nineties for me. Um although I was I was born in 89 so um only really remember a, a, the last piece of the, the decade, but um, you can look at it just, uh, subjectively. It's yeah. Okay. Just <laughs> how the NBA was then. I mean, the Pacers, Pacers and Knicks were, you know, the rivals, I guess you could probably, the Bulls were definitely in there too. Um, but just like as an NBA fan, that was really when the NBA kind of came on, you had, you know, Jordan and for, for, you know, if you like him or dislike him, he was, he was the icon of that that era and uh, the champion jerseys. Uh, I don't think there's a better a better in a or a better sports jersey than the the champion ones they made. Um, so I think just it's got to be the '90s for me. I, I would agree. A lot of times yeah. for this, like you you kind of look at the accomplishments of the teams, and obviously the Pacers haven't won a championship in that time. Um, but just an overall you know, fun team to watch. You know, you could, you could make the argument like in the 2010s, they've made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, what, twice, right? Yeah. Three times, yeah. whatever it is. Um, yeah, twice, I think. But I, I would think most people, we should ask your dad, he probably had more fun watching them in the 90s. I, I would think so. Yeah, and NBA on NBC too. That was always uh, like kind of mm -hmm. a highlight mm -hmm. Sunday morning with Ahmad Rashad. Yeah, so I like that, the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, next category, the alignment system. So here's how I'm going to explain it a little more. Um, it'll sound more – I didn't know this is what it was called, but it's just that three-by-three three grid chart where you have, like, lawful, neutral, and chaotic on the top, and then good, neutral, and evil on the left. So if you're the first crosshair, you're lawful good. Um, and if you're the very bottom, the worst one, it's chaotic evil. Or not worst. It, it can be whatever you think, but, like, the bottom right one. So – the, the question with this is to self-assess Pacer fans. Look inside yourself and say, which of these categories do we as Pacer fans kind of fall into? So what, what do you have for your answer? I have lawful good as a Pacers. Um, <laughs> okay. And I don't know if that's, that's anywhere near what you have, but I, I kind of wrote down and I, I had to Google it too because I wasn't sure exactly yeah. what, what to think of it. Um, I have compassionate fan base, loyal and then a built, not bought mentality. Because mm. I think if you think about, um, you know, chaotic, chaotic evil, I would say that's probably like the next. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. I, I haven't thought that. Yeah, that, that's probably fair. They it de definitely chaotic. Yeah. Um, they lean towards, yeah, probably more towards the neutral evil side of it. 
So I, yeah, I think it's kind of like an opposite thing. Yeah. I don't know. That, that was, it was tough for me. I actually had to research that, yeah. but I, I think, I don't know. I just, when I picture the Pacers, I picture Reggie and it being lawful good. Like he's loyal. He's not going anywhere. He could have left mm-hmm. and gone to a, a contender, but I think about, I kind of relate him to the Pacer fan base where they're pretty, we're pretty loyal. I think maybe I'm biased. <laughs> and I probably am being biased, but I guess that's where my head's at on that one. Yeah, no, that, that's, I mean, that's fair. This, so yeah. is this, gonna, this is why it's going to be fun to see, like, where everyone, like, kind of puts their teams. I, I would have said, um, which, again, this is now biased on the other side, being somebody who is not an Indiana sports fan. Uh, so I kind of, and I live in Indiana, so I see constantly what it's like to be an Indiana sports fan. I was leaning more towards chaotic good. <laughs> okay because okay. of the way you know the the things i always see about you know people say like um like oh the the like the uh sadness of being an indiana sports fan you know everyone talks about that and it's just it gets it, it can get i feel like chaotic in a way on that side like it's not bad it's just you know the way it is like people revolving around um like you know, you know, all the, the bad luck things that have happened, you know, with like, yeah, there's, there's her and luck retiring. And then, you know, there's the worse sports towns. In my opinion, there's way worse sports towns that, that are, that have been more unlucky than Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. But which I, is, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Which is why yeah. I kind of went like with the chaotic good. Like, and I think it's fair to say, like, it's definitely the, the whole pacer is good. Like that you can't yeah. go lower than neutral for the yeah. pacers. It's Agreed. just how you view the the side to side one so yeah okay. i can i can i can see the argument for sure yeah. yeah so neutral good can we agree on neutral good we'll go we'll go with neutral good so for, like for the for the chart we'll we, we'll go with neutral good perfect talk it up perfect all right next last one before we get to the mount rushmore over under the next championship year so i'm giving you a year i went back and forth on this it's it's really hard to say it, it just it just is like it's impossible but if i told if i said to you 2040 can the Pacers win a championship? Will the Pacers win a, a championship in the next 20 years? Would you say over or under? I'm going to say it's probably not going to happen. You would say no, I, I'd say over. I'd say over. Okay. Um, and I, I, I thought about this. I think that the way the Pacers win a title is if you draft someone like Giannis and you kind of build your core around him. You're, you know, you're a Midwest team. I mean, it's kind of like Cleveland. Like they drafted LeBron and – you know, he goes to the heat, comes back and wins the title. I think not being on the coast, you know, I always think about the heat, the Lakers, you know, the Celtics are probably in that category, the Nets. Um, if unless you're on a coast, it's really hard to attract a, a really good, good player in free agency. So I think you're going to have to, to probably draft someone and build, build a team around that player. Um, so I'm going to say over. Okay. The, yeah. yeah, and that's and that's why it's hard. It's hard to create because think about it. None of the players that are there now are going to be there in twenty years. No, it's going to be a completely different thing. So you're honestly you're putting like trust in, um, like the front office that's there because they could still be there. So it's like, can yeah. they do a good enough job? Also, I took this into account. You're going to be like Giannis will be past his his years. Luca even will be past. Like I'm thinking of the guys that would stop you from winning a championship. Um, yeah. By yeah, I think it's fair. I like it could happen in 2038. Like who knows? But I hope it does. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. But I I just I truly believe that um you're just you're just gonna have to draft well and yeah, it's just hard to attract uh someone to Indiana. So how how is the line on that? Mm, (laughs) So 2040, I'd say (laughs) plus two (laughs) hundred. Maybe plus two fifty yeah, and odds yeah, boost. Yeah. Well, we'll get Dylan on Gambling Corner to take that one. Wait, wait, that. twenty years. That's perfect. Um, all right, our last category: Mount Rushmore of the four best Pacers players in in, in Pacers history. So here's how I want to do this. Um, I actually have two even like semi categories to this, which I'm going to go over right now. So here are the players that I don't think were there long enough that you can put them in. So hopefully you don't have any of these players. Um, Paul George, Danny Granger, Miles Turner, all incredibly good, 
not there long enough that you can put them in the top four. And then on the other side of it, I have, it's essentially they were there a long time, but they weren't enough of a star to be there. And that's Jeff Foster, Herb Williams, and Vern Fleming are the three I have there. So I've I've, those guys. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So I've I've boiled it down to six guys. I don't want to say them yet because we're, what I want to do is start with our luck. And I think there's one luck who is, we didn't really talk about this beforehand. So hopefully we're on the same page. Who is like your one lock? Who's the one person that they are, what I would say the best pacer ever. Number 31. Number 31, Reggie Miller. (laughs) He is the absolute number one on this Mount Rushmore. Um, There's just, there, I mean, if you, we were both looking at the all time uh, like statistical leaderboards and everything, like, and just in the first like 12 categories, he's first in 11 out of the 12. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. The, the minutes played, I think he, he doubles the next guy, uh, the points per, uh, the points per game and the point. I mean, just, he just like a, you know, and like, like I was saying earlier, just, just a loyal player and, could have gone to a contender, but stuck around and played his, you know, 20, what, 19 years with the Pacers. So uh, 18, yeah, for me, 18. he's 18. Okay. Yeah. If th- this is one of those names, like if we played a game that was, um, that was like, say the first thing that comes to your head, it was, and we said, say the first player that comes to your mind when we say this team and you said yeah. the Pacers, it would be Reggie Miller. So yeah. he's obviously on Mount Rushmore. So I thought it was going to, it was actually pretty difficult to come up with three more players. Um, I guess the way we should do this, I'm going to tell you the five I have written down to round out the six, and then we can kind of debate. So here are the re- remaining five. George McGinnis, Rick Smiths, Dale Davis, Jermaine O'Neal, Mel Daniels. D- is that kind of the pool you were working with? Yeah, pretty similar. Is um, there anybody I missed? Um, Mel Daniels. Oh, no, I, Mel Daniels it? was yeah he was the last Roger player. Brown yeah, I did Roger not have Brown Roger Brown down okay I have him um well I'll just tell you I have him in my top four okay it was hard um I was between Jermaine was right on the cusp of making the line yeah and I I feel I almost feel guilty not including him so all right so but, go ahead and yeah. go ahead and say you're four okay so I have Reggie Miller Mel Daniels George McGinnis, Roger Brown. So I've got kind of an ABA theme to mind. Wait, wait, like I say, said, Jermaine sorry, can you is say right. It again? Can you say the four again? Reggie Miller. Yeah. Mel Daniels. Yeah. George McGinnis and Roger Brown. Yeah. That's, I, I just missed Roger Brown when I was going through, but yeah. cause he is also, and, and part of this for those listening, you could be um, an ABA player. It's, it's, playing for the Pacers like that's kind of the idea like it would be different if you made a list of where these guys rank in NBA history but in like Pacers history it, it doesn't matter if you played in the ABA um so I'm, I'm now writing down like all of his stats to go along with my chart yeah because yeah it was it was tough for me for sure um yeah kind of looping those guys in with with Reggie is just Jermaine's right there though. He's, he's arguably on that list. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you mine. I went Reggie Miller, George McGinnis, Mel Daniels, Jermaine O'Neal. Okay. Yeah. And the reason why I had, well, one, like I said, I just, I kind of went over Roger Brown. The reason why you have, why you might be right is because those are all four hall of famers, which there's, I'm sure there's more in Pacers history, but like when you look at all the stats too, like, Roger Brown was a four-time All-Star, three-time All-ABA, um, eight years on the Pacers. He was also a Hall of Famer. So I have – the reason I have Jermaine O'Neal in mind is because of the way his stats stack up. Um, he was six-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, obviously only eight years on the Pacers, but the, the All-Stars and All-NBA stack up with the best in Pacers history. And that's a pretty good um, – like measure a pretty good metric of how good a player is and i was not expecting to have jermaine o'neal up there i forgot that he made six all-stars and was all nba three times that means the best center or one of the three best centers in the league three years and i I don't don't know which years but um it was it was definitely really hard for that fourth one but i think reggie miller george mcginnis mel daniels 
no doubters. And then absolutely it's, it's maybe, and that's why I like this exercise. Like we're, I'm going to yeah. post both of our differences and, you know, people can debate along with us, but, um, but yeah, that's really good. I, and so the person that kind of gets left out is Dale Davis or well, yeah. he, he was one of the people. Did you have him up there at all? He's probably, yeah, he's probably top six, seven. Yeah. On that list. I, I would say maybe I would loop him in with Mark Jackson as a, mm-hmm. as a top seven pacer yeah. all time. Um, but it's, it's tough because I, I guess when I look at those, the McGinnis, Daniels and Brown, I just loop, I just kind of think mm-hmm. they won three, well, some of them won three ABA titles with the Pacers yeah. and they were just dominant in that, um, late sixties, 70, early seventies era. And so I don't know, it's, I guess they kind of get the nod for me just cause you're, you're winning a title. It's like, you know the question of like, did they win a title for you or did they, did they not? So I, I don't know. And then McGinnis is from Indy. He went to George Washington high school, which is pretty cool. Went to play basketball at IU. Um, so he's definitely in there. I think he's probably number two. And then, you know, three, four, five, you could make an argument for Jermaine there. I, I, yeah, he's right there mm-hmm. for sure. So you, would you have him five? Yeah. He, five. He'd be your yeah. honorable mention. He's honorable mention. Did, uh, did we mention Rick Smith? I can't remember if I had said something about him. No, we did not. But he's so he, he's up there for sure. Yeah, he he. I mean, yeah. he was only one time All Star, but he was on the Pacers for twelve years, and that's part of it. Like, yeah. he was pretty productive um, in his career with the Pacers. Um, so to to kind of tie one thing to tie back into the documentary was about Dale Davis because if you remember, Pacers traded Dale Davis to get Jermaine O'Neal, and Jermaine O'Neal talked about how he'd be walking through the street. And somebody would be like, Hey, that's the guy we traded for Dale Davis. Like people didn't right. like him at first because they love Dale Davis. Absolutely. Um, so it just shows how both of them were, you know, pretty good part of, of the Pacers and why they both kind of deserve to be up there. Absolutely. So to finish this off, can you name, can you say your Mount Rushmore again? So here's Jake's Mount Rushmore Pacer players. And then I'll do mine after. Okay. Um, and I'm also going to add real quick, just a tribute to oh, a yeah. coach. Um, so oh, I've got yes, yes. Sorry, I forgot about that. Go ahead. Yeah. There you go. Reggie Miller, Mel Daniels, George McGinnis, Roger Brown are my, my four Mount Rushmore. And then um, this attributes to the late Bobby Slick Leonard. He was the Pacers ABA coach um, and he won three titles, went to five ABA finals and won three, 1970, 72, 73. And then he won, he hit the game winning free throw for IU to beat Kansas in the 1953 title game. So uh, I think if you if you probably Google right now Indiana Pacers basketball icon, it's probably him and Reggie. So he he's kind of just when I, when I think about um, you know a Pacers legend, he he definitely comes to mind first. So I just wanted to do a little tribute to him. Yeah, th- no, thank you. He's he's yeah. definitely like one of the probably the best or most iconic non-player um, yeah. in Pacers history. I actually, I saw him at Costco once he was doing like a little book signing. So that was, really? I remember seeing like, yeah, seeing like slick Leonard. So that was, that was one time I got to see That's him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Perfect. And then, so mine just to remind everyone, uh, Reggie Miller, George McGinnis, Mel Daniels, Jermaine O'Neal. So that was our one difference. Um, yeah. and it just, it was interesting to point like to see and point out that the, the last one that's on there most recently played for the Pacers in 2008, right? Jermaine O'Neal. Yeah. 2000. Yeah. yeah, 2008, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy. That just, there hasn't been anyone coming up, which I think you'll see that for a lot of the teams, at least NBA teams we do because of longevity and, you know, people staying around on, or people leaving, I should say, to go to certain teams. Absolutely. Um, So that was, that was uh, our first sports fanatic segment. That was actually really exciting. I, I, I love yeah. all the answers and I, Mount Rushmore is like one of my favorite things to do. And this one was I, a lot I enjoyed that. Harder yeah, that was, than that I was, thought it would be. That's a great, that's a great segment. I, I really I like love that. it. We'll bring yeah. it back then. We'll officially bring it back, but <laughs> Jake, thanks again so much for uh, joining me just to talk about the mouse of the palace, you know, the new documentary. And if you haven't seen it yet, everyone can see it on Netflix. No free ads though. Um, <laughs> see it on Netflix. Um, and Again, thanks for doing Sports Fanatics, a segment we will definitely continue. I'll, I'll post some of the, the things we talked about on, on the Sunday Night Stack Guy Twitter account. So at Real Stack Guy, you can follow us there. But anything else you want to you wanna mention before we get out of here? 
No, just give this guy a follow on Twitter. Tappy Tappy. Tappy Tappy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jake. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thanks for having me on. Big thanks to my cousin Jake for coming on the podcast. It was about time we were able to tell the origin story of the stat guy since he was the first one to call me that. So you can thank him for the podcast. I hope everyone enjoys the sports fanatic segment. It's definitely something I want to keep doing. So if you have a specific team in mind that you would want to break down with me or just just here, let me know um, and I'll add it into the rotation. Okay, thank you for all listening to another episode of the podcast. And remember, with Sunday Night Stat Guy, you will not just get the stats you want, but the stats that you need. Thanks, everyone.